Hello again, this is Pastor Ed Collins of North Christian Church. Um, this message is part 71 of The Lord is Our Confidence. Let's open up in prayer. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together this way. Father, we know that it's unique at this point in time. It's different from any of us, but we're so blessed uh, to remember your faithfulness to us, that you get the word to us, the truth to us, these messages to us through your faithfulness, Father, through your divine providence, regardless of whatever fears and anxieties might be plaguing us and the rest of the world at this point. Uh, we can rest assured that you love us um, and the proof is in the pudding, as they say, Father. We're so grateful for all that you do. We are um, so grateful for this opportunity even to pray and to um, place our petitions before you for others in the congregation, um, members that even before this break, before this change in method, uh, were ill and couldn't meet with us face-to-face. Uh, -face. Father, we still uh, pray for them that you heal them and comfort them in time of need, Father. We also pray for those that are still lost in this world, that they be humbled, that they receive saving faith before it's too late, Father. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to make a time like this a time to rejoice for all of us. And we do just ask for your blessings on this particular message, Father, we ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. I'll open up this way. Last week's blog was titled, When the Going Gets Tough. Here's a principle from that blog, When the Going Gets Tough, from uh, March 20th, 2020. When we sit back and accept God's will for, our, for us, we are blessed. When we sit back and accept God's will, uh, which is in many ways um, the opposite of our own, certainly the opposite of the world's will for us. But here's the principle. When we accept his will, we are blessed. This week's blog was related, and it's, it was titled Time Will Tell. Here's an excerpt from that one, uh, dated March 27, 2020. Time will tell what exactly? <clears throat> well, minimally, it tells us whether or not we have real faith. Time will tell minimally uh, whether or not we have real faith. I think that's one of the blessings of time is that it gives us time to reflect back. Um, if you didn't notice, both blogs have amplified what's been coming from the pulpit as of late. And if you've been following along, you know that the Spirit's been combating having any and or all of us fall into the fear-mongering that's going around right now. A lot of that seems to be uh, certainly in the media, uh, but you can't really go anywhere. Everybody's talking about this thing. I recently heard uh, someone say, the mob always overestimates near-term effects of crisis and underestimates the long-term effects. 
And that, you know, that's not a bad perspective if you really think about it. I think in, in many ways um, that applies to the way the world is handling this coronavirus pandemic. And just as a side note, uh, you know, I'm almost leery of even saying that word uh, because it's the most popular word of all lately. And frankly, even without a TV in my house, I'm becoming sick and tired of hearing about how everyone's obsessing over it. I get it, but we need perspective here, especially you and I, especially believers in Christ Jesus. You know what? Here's, here's what, it, what it is. It is what it is, my friends. <laughs> Accept it. Uh, it happens to be God's will for you at this point in time, right? Uh, God ordains everything. So accept it and focus on something else for a change. Uh, don't fall into the trappings <clears throat> of the mob mentality. Anyways, that's it for my rant. Uh, whatever the case may be, and like the blogs and messages of late have stated, uh, today it's this, tomorrow it's some other obsession, right? But here's the truth of the matter. The true plague in this world, up here on the board, is unbelief. The true plague in this world is unbelief, Matthew 10, 26-39. The plague isn't an assault against the physical body. It's against the human spirit. Go to Matthew 10, 26. Matthew 10, verse 26. Again, the true plague in this world is unbelief. Uh, so with the right perspective, we can look at all these other concerns and, and the hysteria even that seems to be surrounding um, this pandemic. And uh, we can be set free uh, from those things. True, the, the true plague in this world is unbelief. That's the truth. Matthew uh, 10, 26. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There's some perspective for you. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledge me, acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring, bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's the perspective. That's the 
big picture perspective that uh, the Spirit has a lot to say about in this particular message. Again, as we start off though, the plague isn't some physical disease. On the board, the true plague in this world is unbelief. Unbelief. We just saw that in Matthew 10. I think the thing to remember in times like this is that, you know, nothing we ever go through is somehow fantastically unique. It's not. Um, in fact, according to the Bible, just the opposite is true. Uh, maybe it's the first time we've uh, experienced uh, uh, this or that. Um, but it's certainly not the first time humanity has. So just remember that in times like this, uh, there's, you know, nothing we go through is somehow unique even. And, and in fact, the Bible says just the opposite is true. I'll share something with you that the Spirit has revealed to me over the years. And uh, interestingly, for the record, some of you have even said this to me without any prompting. Um this has been one of the key tenets. If I was to, you know, uh, think about my ministry, the ministry's uh, over a decade um, in existence now, if I uh, proper, uh, if, if I think of my ministry, one of the key uh, tenets of it is learn to see the big picture and be set free by it. Um, learn to see the big picture and be set free by it. So let's just reflect on this for a moment. Uh, a perfect example of this is your ability and your desire to read your own Bibles. Why? For the big picture. Why? So that you're set free by it. A perfect example of this is your ability and your desire to read your own Bibles. That didn't always exist in some of you. Um, you know, I can't see you, but for giggles, raise your hand. If you've learned to love reading your Bible, I just raised mine. That's evidence of the point on the board, you see. How about the fact that you've learned to read the Word of God in context? In context. Has that not afforded you a big picture perspective? Reading the Word in context? Has that not afforded you a big picture perspective? You bet. Or how about... Thinking about the Bible as really only speaking to one basic thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that big enough picture for you? Or one last thing to think about. How about the fact that when we read our Bibles, we do so in order to see, truly see, uh, the one who saved us. Allah, John 5.39 we saw this last time. You search the scriptures, Jesus speaking to the religious Jews. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. In other words, you know, what we would call verbal plenary scripture, the whole of it, all of it. Um, that's It's about him. And that's what people have missed, especially religious folks. So, so for some of you, freedom has come in shedding this very issue that the religious Jews of Jesus's time had. They would read their Bibles in search of knowledge, of doctrine, let's say, in order to feed their preconceptions, um, to feed their religion. But Jesus said they missed the whole point. Jesus's brother James wrote about the same thing 
uh, years later. Go to James 1, verse 26. James 1, verse 26. Uh, there's, sadly, there are people in this world, uh, I would suppose millions of them, that are deceived, thinking that eternal life is in just knowing Scripture. Uh, but we have to know the person that Scripture uh, speaks to, and that's uh, with Jesus' point in John 5.39. James 1.26, though, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And then he says, this is what religion is. Verse 27, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's what it means to be a Christian, in other words. That's what true religion looks like. It, it is, it does, it acts. Love can't help but express itself. Um, if you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to be one of Christ's own, then the idea is to, quote, follow him, as he would say. If you're unwilling to follow him, but rather you're just looking to be religious, like the Jews during his time, then you've missed the point. Again, uh, Jesus' brother James in verse 27 of James 1, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Reminds me of you shall know them by their fruit, right? Again, we read our Bibles to see uh, and to find Jesus, not just find knowledge of him. We want to see him, to find him. That's the point. Again, back to the key tenet of my personal ministry. Again, learn to see the big picture and be set free by it. So let's get practical now. Ask yourselves a question. During this time that we live in, like right now, right, with everything that's going on, during this time we live in, who have you been most concerned about? Who have you been most concerned about? Yourself or others? Who have you been most concerned about? And be honest, most concerned about yourself or others? If Jesus were here with us right now on earth, how would he answer that question? How is it that the perfect one would answer others while it's often a forced response for most of us? It's because though most of us are pursuing his mind, a la 1 Corinthians 2.16, we don't truly have it yet, right? And to whatever degree that is true, to that same degree, we are missing the big picture and therefore missing out on freedom. We are missing the big picture and therefore missing out on freedom. That theme is going to continue to be driven home in this message that seeing the big picture uh, results in freedom. So when we're faced with the question during this time we live in, who have you been most concerned about yourself or others? What we must concede is that the answer is a function of how much of Jesus's mind uh, we possess. And that I'm using, I'm thinking of that Greek word lambano, which means to truly possess, not just, you know, have, but have for keeps, have so that it actually has, bears fruit, that kind of possession, right? 
uh, be the difference between memorizing scripture and understanding scripture. Or, you know, as, as the Spirit's been uh, pointing out in this message, you know, reading uh, Holy Scripture and identifying or categorizing doctrines versus reading it and finding Him. So what we must concede is that the answer to the question on the board, who are we most focused on, who are we most concerned uh, for, uh, about uh, during these times, just ourselves or others, the answer is a function of how much of Jesus Christ's mind we possess. Lombano Paul revealed that uh, what the mind of Christ actually looks like. Go to Philippians 2, verse 3. What does that look like then? How do we put ourselves to the test? How do we examine ourselves? And again, we don't examine, Philippians 2, 3, we don't examine ourselves for the sake of being condemned. We examine ourselves for the sake of uh, sanctification so that we can see the truth and the truth will set us free. You see? Philippians 2, 3 do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This is the attitude, right? Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. This is this big picture perspective, which is yours in Christ Jesus, yours to have. In other words, have this big picture perspective about why God the Father has placed you on earth during this time. Verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. That's the big picture perspective that we need to keep in time, my friends. And when we and when we do, here's the blessing. And this is um, something that has been sort of woven into our messages as of late, but maybe not stated so simply. The big picture is so big that it humbles us. The big picture is so big that we're humbled by it. It humbles us. I hope that makes sense. Um, you see, that's one of the great blessings about reading your Bible and being reminded daily of how magnanimous God has been with us in time. We begin to see the bigger picture, uh, the bigger plan. Um, and when we do, we're humbled. Um, to my earlier point, the Bible really is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. How big is that, I ask? If the entirety of the Bible is about the gospel, how big is that, I ask? It's the biggest, right? I mean, God crossed all chasms to save us when he didn't have to. Romans 5.8, Amplified Classic, appear on the board. But God shows and clearly proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, died for us. Friendly reminder, being a sinner means you're um, uh, in a state of, of enmity with God, that you are antagonistic, your very, your very being uh, is offensive to him. And yet he sent his son, the Messiah, the anointed one, to die for us. Uh, how big is that? Is that a big deal to you? It's, again, it's really the biggest deal of all. That's the gospel truth. Again, up here on the board, the big picture is so big that it humbles us. 
And as we've learned over the past decade plus, humility is the key to the spiritual life. The big picture is so big that it humbles us. Humility is the key to the spiritual life. So you start seeing even more of what God's been doing in your life over the past decade. If you've been with this ministry even for a few years, what, what he's been doing is imparting the big picture viewpoint, his viewpoint, uh, into your soul. And it humbles you. And then we find out that humility is the key to the spiritual life. So do you see the, the value of the big picture now, my friends? Okay, so back to the question that's still on the table. During this time we live in, this thing everybody seems to be preoccupied with, who have you been most concerned about, yourself or others? That's your litmus test. If we synthesize the Word of God with a lot of help from this big picture perspective the Spirit's bringing up here, what we realize is what James wrote up here on the board in the Amplified, James 4, verse 6. But he gives us more and more grace through the power of the Holy Spirit to defy sin and live an obedient life that reflects both our faith and our gratitude for salvation. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud and haughty, but continually gives the gift of grace to the humble who turn away from self-righteousness. Again, but he gives us more and more grace through the power of the Holy Spirit to defy sin and live an obedient life that reflects both our faith and our gratitude for our salvation. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud and haughty, but continually gives the gift of grace to the humble who turn away from self-righteousness. This grace, my friends, comes in the form of freedom. Think about it. To lead you away from darkness as into the light. Darkness is bondage. Light is freedom. So this grace comes in the form of freedom. Concentrate for a moment. We're going to synthesize even more. Humility then leads to freedom. That is something we can certainly conclude. Uh, if we just string the, you know, the whole string of pearls together, humility leads to freedom. Uh, big picture presses us into humility. We're in that place of humility, and ultimately we end up free as a result. And so we might even say that the big picture leads to freedom, right? Uh, that's what the Spirit just put on the table, though. Humility leads to freedom, uh, he just put it on the table in response to the running question about our attitude towards self and others during this time in human history. Humility leads to freedom. So, for those of you who seem to be stuck in fear, um, ask yourself who you fear for primarily. Again, for those of you who seem to be stuck in fear, and that is, you know, fear in this sense is a sin, right? Um, for those of you who seem to be stuck in fear, ask yourself who you fear for primarily. I think the answer is obvious, right? Now compare that to the way Jesus lived his life and how he asked us to live our own. Here's some help with that from Holy Scripture. Go to Matthew 25, verse 31. Matthew 25, verse 31. Because you can, you know, say, oh, you know, I'm this, I'm that, I'm humble, I'm this, you know, I see the big picture. 
But you know, the proof is in the pudding, as they say, right? Again, the question is, Matthew 25, 31 is where you're going. For those of you who seem to be stuck in fear, still ask yourself who you fear for. Where's your mind? Where's your focus? Now, compared to the way Jesus lived his life and what he asked us and how he, he uh, proposed we live our own. So Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now here's the point. This is why we're reading this passage. Here's our litmus test, right? For I was hungry and you gave me food. Reminds me of what James wrote earlier, right? That we noted earlier. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. That's your litmus test, right? Who have you been focused on? Is that you or are you just basically uh, wallowing in self-pity, let's say? Uh, fear of loss for self? Where's your focus? That's the point. Look at verse 41, the, the, the contrary um, um, position. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of these, to one of the least of these you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. What did Jesus have to say then about the question of our attitude towards self and others during this time in human history? What was his position, in other words? And do you see the connective tissue back to the point he made with the religious Jews? Again, I'll help you out. Verse 39 of John 5 on the board he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Let me share um, an observation that is biblically founded, of course, uh, but it will help synthesize. You know, an arrogant person is miserable in time. Something amplified, by the way, during times of crisis like this one. An arrogant person is miserable in time because they are self-absorbed. Let me say it again. An arrogant person is miserable in time because they are self-absorbed. 
Who are they focused on? What are their anxieties about? What's the problem? Again, an arrogant person is miserable in time because they are self-absorbed. Not others absorbed, self-absorbed. And that runs contrary to what we just read in Philippians 2. That is not Christ's mind. I go one step further and argue that religious arrogance produces the most miserable people around. And I could be teaching a religiously arrogant person right now and not even know it. I argue, though, that religious arrogance produces the most miserable people around. In other words, those who, you know, uh, hold the Bible up like a whip to oppress others through religion, they're actually worse off than those who don't read their Bibles at all. Think about that. Give that some thought this weekend. Those who hold the Bible up like a whip to oppress others through religion are actually worse off than those who don't read their Bibles at all. And in their own self-righteousness, in other words, their pursuit of self-deliverance for the sake of self, in their own self-righteousness, they destroy any hope for peace they might actually have. In their own self-righteousness, they destroy any hope for peace that they might have. Go to Philippians 4, verse 11. Philippians 4, verse 11. Again, what's the point the Spirit's making here? It's, it's a point of misery, looking at ourselves, uh, looking in the mirror. What is the source of that misery? Well, as always is the case, it's anything that takes us away from the truth, which in very practical terms, is the opposite of humility and obedience, in other words, arrogance. Philippians 4.11, here's the attitude that Paul had, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Think about right now in time. How about you? Um, think about Paul's attitude towards others. You think that related to his ability to be content? to not focus on self, but focus on others, even esteem others more important. For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Is Philippians 4.13 uh merely a punchline to you or does it actually mean something to you honestly is it a punchline is it something you say you know i can do all things through him who strengthens me or does it actually mean something to you is it bigger than just you know this one line in your bible do you read it to have knowledge or in true humility to understand the mind of christ all the more when you read a, let's call it a big passage like this one, right? Philippians 4, 11 through 13. When we read a, a big passage like the one we just read together, do you, quote, see the big picture? Do you see the big picture? Do you see how it relates back to humility even? Do you see how that humility leads you to freedom? And does that freedom, in other words, the fruit of the Spirit, does that freedom extinguish any fears you might have during this time on earth? Again, all of this is to amplify 
one key point again up here on the board it's been a key tenet in my ministry learn to see the big picture and be set free by it learn to see the big picture and be set free by it again uh, let's see what um let's see what solomon the wisest man of his time had to say on this go to ecclesiastes 1 verse 4 ecclesiastes 1 verse 4 I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Solomon had a really good big picture perspective on life itself. He tried all these things. We call them experiments. He tried everything, right? He tried to work harder. He tried to get more. He tried to love more. He tried to do everything to the extreme. Sounds like the average American, I think. But uh, anyways, he tried to do everything to the extreme and figured out it was all vanity. It was for naught. Um, so this man uh, in his time had was the wisest and he had the big picture in full grasp, and here's what he wrote, Ecclesiastes 1.4. A generation goes and a generation comes. Uh, that's us, my friends. You know what? How, what do we live? 70, 80, 90 years maybe, right? Uh, that's a generation. And how many of those have been in human history? Uh, I don't know. You'd have to do the math. But they come and go. A generation goes and a generation comes. But the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. So, uh, excuse me, to the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of, of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, verse 10, See, this is new? It has already in the ages. It has been already in the ages before us. Again, what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun up here on the board, nothing new under the sun. Today, it's, you know, it's this crisis. Uh, tomorrow, it's yet another and so on. There's going to be more and more crises, right? Whatever. The only constant in life is change. However, with Christ, the rock, our minds don't have to waver. Our hearts may remain steady, our peace unshakable. All of these things are God-given rights as saints in Christ. There's nothing new under the sun. That's the big picture. You see, if you get too myopic, too self-absorbed, um, you're crushed by it. The peace that you could have is now destroyed. If this, so let's think about this. If this is the big picture perspective that the Spirit's been driving home lately, think about the blog even, time will tell, then there's a really powerful technique that we have access to in time that delivers us from any and all forms of anxiety. Again, think of the big picture the Spirit's been giving us, right? Um, in, when, we, when we have that in view, when we, when we quote Lombano, when we, when we possess the big picture perspective, um, there's a really powerful technique that we have access to in time that delivers us from any and all forms of anxiety. Let's review something we noted last time and see what the Spirit's getting at here. Go to 2 Corinthians 10.3. 2 Corinthians 10.3. Big picture perspective. What do you get? Uh, is there fruit of it? Why all this work? Why push us in this direction? Why 
uh, encourage us this way um, because the Spirit knows what he's doing. 2 Corinthians 10.3. Again, there's a really powerful technique that we have access to when we have that perspective and it delivers us from all kinds of anxiety. 2 Corinthians 10.3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. In other words, we break the chains, right? We, we don't, we're not bound uh, by anything from this world or anything from uh, the domain of darkness. It breaks all that stuff in verse 5. Just the opposite happens, right? We go from being um, captive to being the captor. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. In other words, things flip, right? We are in control. When we have the big picture perspective, uh, we can make sense of the whole thing. You understand? We see the whole landscape, and that's a very powerful perspective to have. Uh, I'll give you McDonald again on 2 Corinthians 10, 5. All men's teachings and speculations must be judged in the light of the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, put everything under him, right? Uh, and then everything's bounded by him, by his mind. Paul would not condemn human reasoning as such, but would warn that we must not allow our intellects to be exercised in defiance of the Lord and in disobedience to him. Our intellects, I don't know, a case in point might be when we get carried away, we start worrying about, you know, even how certain viruses replicate and the, the probabilities and this kind of a thing. Nothing wrong with understanding the truth of the matter, but we shouldn't be focused on it to the point of panic right? That's when our intellects get the best of us. So again, concentrate. What about this technique that I mentioned earlier? How does being able to grab hold of this big picture perspective that Jesus Christ himself had, how does being able to do this, what does it do for us in time? Well, it puts everything in its proper place, which is precisely what Solomon was getting at in Ecclesiastes 1. Just put it in its right place. My friends, the word of God, with the word of God, nothing can touch you. With the word of God, nothing can touch you. Do you understand? The word of God is what gives us that big picture perspective. And when we have that big picture perspective, it garrisons our hearts, you see. Um, keep repeating that to yourselves. Uh, the word, with the word of God, nothing can touch you. So keep repeating that. Even if you happen to come down with some disease, so what? So what? Will it be painful? I suppose. Maybe someday I can report on it myself. I don't know. Um, but since, since when is pain something that precludes us from being set free? When is, since when is pain something that precludes us from being set free? If anything... The Bible teaches us that suffering is the crucible that we believers must go through in order to be sanctified. The Bible teaches us that suffering is the crucible that we believers must go through in order to be sanctified. Don't believe me? Go to Romans 5.1. Romans 5.1. If you don't believe me, I, as a matter of fact, I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to see it in Holy Scripture so that you can be set free from it. Romans 5. Verse 1, Paul wrote, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Think of grace from uh, James 4, 6. I think I gave you the Amplified there. Uh, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, and here's where it gets interesting, but we rejoice in our sufferings. I think about Jesus, the joy set before him. He suffered the cross. We're supposed to bear our own cross. Last time I checked. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Again, here's the point. Since when is pain something that precludes us from being set free? And just for the record, I'm not belittling the suffering that's going on around us or that, you know, pain is real. What I'm saying is what the Bible says. Suffering leads to sanctification. Did you hear what I just said? Let, let me put it on the board for you through the eye gate, right? Suffering leads to sanctification. Besides Jesus Christ, maybe the most iconic character in the Bible on the topic of suffering is Job. Heck, I mean, the book of Job, if you didn't know it, is 42 chapters long. And they're not short chapters. It's 42 chapters long, and the whole thing deals with the topic of suffering. At the beginning of the book, God himself describes Job as standing above his peers. Go to Job 1 verse 8. Job 1 verse 8. We'll uh, review this very quickly. Uh, I think we read uh, most of Job 1 last time. Go to Job 1 verse 8. Again, the point of the board, though, is the key. Suffering leads to sanctification. Job 1 verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is no, there is none like him on the earth? Think about that. None. He said, This, this guy's unique. This is the, you know, this is the creme de la creme, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Have you considered him? Now, we all know what happens. Uh, now, fast forward to the end of the same book, uh, after the most epic butt-kicking in recorded history, uh, something you got to kick out of that, where this same man who started out as peerless by God's own description said the following. Go to Job 42, verse 5. I'm going to take a sip of water. Job 42, verse 5. So remember verse 8 of chapter 1, where God said, There's none like him, you're blameless and upright. Verse 42, after the butt kicking, right? Verse 5, after all is said and done, here's what he said. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Up here on the board, but now my eye sees you. Job finally saw and understood 
the immensity of God, his sovereignty, his righteousness, and his grace. That's big, people, right? That's big. But now my eye sees you. For some of you, this is happening to you as I teach, right? Your eyes are being opened up to see the big picture. God's really big. Uh, Job finally saw and understood the immensity of God, his sovereignty, righteousness, and grace. And here's the kicker. Through suffering, Job was given greater insight into the big picture. Through suffering, you see, without it, he wouldn't have gotten there. Through it, he was given greater insight into the big picture. In this way, then, Job becomes our model, doesn't he? He becomes our model regarding the topic of suffering. He was a living manifestation of what it means to be sanctified in the crucible we call life, and particularly through suffering. So some of you might be saying to yourselves right now, you know, um, I'm in some kind of crucible right now, that's for sure. You know, I got laid off because of what's going on, or I don't know, maybe someone actually has a, a certain sector. I don't know. Uh, it's possible uh, you have it and don't even know it yourself yet. But just the fear of it um, has haunted you. Um, granted, you know, you might also at least admit, I hope, it isn't quite what Job had to endure, but nonetheless, it's real. And again, for the record, I empathize with you, truly. And I don't judge you because I think your, you know, quote, little problems pale in comparison to Job's. Here's how I see it, folks, and I hope you see it the same. Pain, even if self-inflicted, is no less real. Even if it's self-inflicted, it's real. As the Spirit's taught us from this pulpit over the years, pain is also unique to the individual. Pain is unique to the individual. You'll never understand the kind of pain that I go through in my life, just like I'll never understand yours, at least not completely, right? Do I know and appreciate the fact that everyone hearing my voice is going through some kind of pain right now? You bet I do. Suffering, especially for we believers in Christ, is guaranteed in time. It's not if, it's when. It's guaranteed. And that makes sense, considering, you know, the likes of uh, Philippians 1.6, where we know that God's going to complete a good thing he started in us, right? Which is to sanctify us. So we know that to be sanctified, to, to even, like we're saying more specifically in this message, to see the big picture and be sanctified, we have to suffer. Suffering, especially for we believers, is guaranteed in time. Mustn't ever forget that. What we've learned in this message is something the Spirit's been teaching us for years. Regardless of what's going on around us, we must remain humble. We must remain, remember it's arrogant to focus, you know, hyper-focus on self. You got to take care of your own vineyard. That's not what I'm talking about. But to hyper-focus on felt, uh, self, it leads you away from the blessings of God. We have to remain humble. That's the key the Spirit pointed out in that blog, the recent one, that was titled, When the Going Gets Tough. Again, that read, when we sit back and accept God's will for us, we're blessed. When we accept God's will for us, we are blessed. We'll never accept God's will for us if we don't first see the big picture. See, I'm, I'm trying to weave this together for you now. We'll never accept God's will for us if we don't first see the big picture. And that was... Uh, the key tenet 
of my particular ministry in time, learn to see the big picture and be set free by it. When we see the big picture, we are stricken with the immensity that is God. Learn, seek that. Don't just read your Bible to, you know, categorize another doctrine or, or somehow, I don't know, you know, learn things for the sake of learning them. Look for him. Look for the big picture. Look for the plan of God. Look at the salvific purposes of God. Look for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are the centerpieces of that Bible that's in front of you, right? Don't make that mistake that the religious Jews did during Jesus's time and miss the whole point. Learn to see the big picture and be set free by it. Again, when we see the big picture, we are stricken with the immensity that is God. And again, I'll repeat this. The big picture is so big that it humbles us, right? It humbles us. As Job learned, God is really big, <laughs> really big. Uh, hence, Peter's reminder, go, go to 1 Peter 5, 6. 1 Peter 5, 6. Again, the big picture is so big that it humbles us. And that's a really good thing, right? Because humble uh, humility is what precedes sanctification, which precedes freedom. And I hope you see all the connective tissue here. Uh, God reveals the big picture to us. He wants us to remember how, so how about his sovereignty, is, the, he, how big he is, how holy he is, so that we're humbled by it. And in that humility, he can use that to sanctify us, you see. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves, he said, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. That might be right now. Think of the call to action, let's say, that we've been getting from this pulpit. Now's your time to shine. Well, I, this is Peter's way of saying it, right? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, that could be now for you, right? He may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him. In other words, stop worrying about yourself, your own life, how you're going to, quote, survive all this. God's got everything under control. Your days are numbered, right? Same as the hairs on your head. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Trust him or don't trust him. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Uh, be on alert, in other words. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's what he's trying to do with Job. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You know, we're all suffering in some way, and that is part of God's, quote, big plan. Verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, look at this for a, a promise, will you? Will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I'll close with our final key principle up here on the board. Um, suffering leads to sanctification. If you're suffering, learn to look past the temporary pain. Bear your cross. After all, didn't Jesus look past the pain of his cross? Doesn't the Bible teach us in Hebrews 12 too, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross? His joy was a function of his big picture perspective. And that's where his freedom lay as well. Again, his joy was a function of his big picture perspective. He saw it all as truth. Of course, he was perfect in that way, but uh, we have access to that viewpoint in time. Again, the point 
here is that suffering leads to sanctification. One last passage to remind us of what God thinks of this. Go to 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 4 1. So if suffering leads to sanctification, and that's what the Bible tells us, right? Um, what do you think God's going to put in our lives to sanctify us? If one is the function of the other, what do you think God's going to do? Do you think he's going to ordain no suffering? Or do you think he's going to ordain possibly a lot of suffering? You decide. 1 Thessalonians 4.1. Let's look at God's motivation. And then we'll talk about, and then you can, you can decide why there is suffering in your life. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. In other words, just keep on doing what you're doing. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So now you can answer the question, right? The point of the board, suffering leads to sanctification. If the will of God is that you're sanctified, what do you think he's going to put in your life? What do you think times like this are all about? Hmm. My prayer is that you see God the way Job did at the end of the book after his name. So just a friendly reminder, but now my eyes, my eye sees you. Job finally saw and understood the immensity of God, his sovereignty, his righteousness and grace. Through suffering, Job was given greater insight into the big picture. Think of the nature of this ministry, my friends. That's been on the, uh, on the docket for over a decade to try to get you to think about the big picture. Why? Because that's what sets you free. See the big picture, my friends, and you see God clearer than ever. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word uh, together. Father, and this is such a tremendous blessing for all of us. Thank you so much for your patience, your mercy, your grace, your love. Thank you for humbling us in light of who you are, uh, the immensity that is you. Uh, thank you for reminding us of your sovereignty and your holiness, Father. Uh, we're just overwhelmed by it, uh, humbled by it, Father. And of course, your will be done set free by it. We just ask for your blessings as we take these things back to the privacy of our own souls, back to our homes, Father, and, uh, you know, your will be done again uh, out to a, a world that's just lost and um, fading away from truth, Father. We just ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.